0: Google is spying on Android users through their messages and dialing apps. A wild new phishing attack that could fool even the most careful of users. Lapsus is continuing to strike for now, a ton of political stories and much much more. Welcome to Surveillance Report number 81 where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news. I am Nathan from The New Oil. I'm Henry from TechWar. And this week we are continuing our trend of reminding you about the new channel. And I'm pretty sure this is the last chance to go subscribe before we start putting out content. I'm pretty sure starting next week, all the content's gonna be on the new channel. So this is your final reminder. We have a YouTube channel. We might have an Odyssey channel. Um, is there any update on that?
1: Yeah, so they have auto sync. They were like add autosync. We tried adding auto sync and it's still auto syncing and it's been like two weeks. So <laughs> um, I think there's something wrong on their end. They say you have to have a video up. We, either way, once we get a video up, it should be easier to figure out what's going on with Odyssey. So we're, we're really working on it. We're trying to make Odyssey happen ASAP. So don't get mad at us, blame your own platform. It doesn't work well.
0: So there you go. And um, we're still working on the uh the peer tube that should be up hopefully by the middle of no later than the middle of April. But anyways, YouTube is definitely up. It's ready to go. If you're a YouTube watcher, go ahead and subscribe now. So you don't miss anything. If you're listening to this on audio, you've obviously already found us and nothing is changing there. Spotify, Apple podcasts, whatever your podcast platform of choice is, we're still there. We're not going anywhere. You don't have to do anything.
1: The last thing, and this is a longer one because it's the last announcement. We're keeping the same surveillance report playlist. So you'll actually see that surveillance support playlist now on that new channel and it's listed there. So the videos up until surveillance support 81 will still be shown in that playlist. So you can still find all the old surveillance supports but they're just uploaded by TechLore and from here on out, you're gonna still see videos being added there but from the new channel. So everything will still be in the same playlist. So it's easy for you to reference older surveillance supports. because I know some
0: people were concerned about that. And with that, we will move into our highlight story where we are talking about Android's messages and dialer apps quietly sending text and call information to Google. So this headline is one of those kind of says it all things. But of course, we're going to dig in a little bit deeper for you guys. This included hashed message text to link sender and receiver so they would be able to see the same hash text on both sides. Call time and duration and phone numbers. Timing and duration of other interactions were also sent to Google. Like if you're like me and when you're bored, you just randomly flip through apps because I'm weird like that. You know, if you open the app to check and see if there's any messages you missed or forgot to reply to, it would go ahead and tell them that too. Google says that they will go ahead and make some changes. They say that they will introduce a toggle that allows users to opt out, but only of data they don't consider essential. Which, of course, they did not elaborate on. The article even points out, like, well, you've been collecting this data in the first place, so obviously you think this is essential. So it's just, it's really unclear if Google's actually going to change any of their practices. It is worth noting, just for those of you who are using a custom ROM and you're a little bit concerned about this, this does not impact any of the AOSP, which is the Android, um, what does that stand for again? Android Android Uh, Open
1: Source Project.
0: There you go. Thank you. Which is what all of like the Calyx and the graphene and lineage and all that, that's what it's built on. So all that is open source. All that is clean. But the point is if you're using a custom ROM, you're not affected by this unless you went out of your way to actually download the official Google messenger and Google dialer apps, which also come preloaded on non-custom Android ROMs, like, you know, Samsung and and, uh, I think Huawei uses it and all those other, uh, Google pixels and stuff like that. So yeah. And Henry had some additional insights regarding GDPR and other stuff like that.
1: Yeah, one thing that caught my eye here was the paper raised questions about whether this even complies with GDPR, which is Europeans' privacy regulations. They asked Google whether it believes apps meet GDPR obligations, and they received no reply to that question. So I think there's two perspectives here. On one hand, maybe it does violate GDPR, and in that case, it shows that GDPR is really more, in this specific scenario, it's more of a response than it actually made a difference going into it. So GDPR might not prevent these things from happening. They might just help with the process of actually holding companies accountable and maybe from there, it'll be less likely to happen again. Now, this might still be GDPR compliant and if it is, it shows that GDPR can be very easy to work around, especially when you have ecosystems like Google's where they control the OS, the apps, and Google Play services, so it's easy to really sweep any data under diagnostic data or anything like that. Um, If they weren't collecting this information from the apps themselves, they theoretically can can be using Google Play services to probably get similar information. If it's not there, there's probably some other way that they can do it. The takeaway here, get on an open source custom ROM. Um, Nothing in this story should really be a surprise. These are proprietary Google applications. So if you're not as technical and you can't do the custom ROM route, Personally, I genuinely recommend an iPhone over a stock Android device like a Pixel nowadays, if you have no plans of getting on the custom ROM. I don't think that should be an unpopular opinion in the privacy world. If you're on Android at the bare minimum, go check out our Android privacy and security guide on the Techler channel, because I think that that's a really good video. I don't know if you had anything else for a takeaway.
0: I do wanna, because I know people in the comments are gonna eventually ask, what is your reasoning for recommending iPhone over Android if we have no reason to suspect that Apple collects any less data and is probably collecting the same amount of data? Why would you recommend an iPhone instead?
1: Well, first, I don't know if it was the same guy who actually did this research paper, but it was someone else who did research that shows Apple actually does collect less data than Google, first off, and the opt-outs tend to be a little bit more effective on iOS. But also, we're trusting Apple here, which tends to be slightly more privacy-friendly than Google. It doesn't mean Apple's privacy-friendly, it doesn't mean iPhones are perfect, that's not the takeaway here. But there's also other perks of being on the iPhone ecosystem. This story, for example you could have a samsung device where samsung's tracking you verizon's tracking you and all and even facebook because of these pre-installed apps that come with these phones many of which track you like this app does and that's not really much of a concern on an iphone like you have these apps that might track you with apple but that's kind of about it um so it's generally just a cleaner experience and it's more likely to be privacy friendly for the average user that's really the reasoning there
0: i just like i said i know people are going to say it in the comments so i kind of wanted you to address that ahead of time Uh, and i mean um, if
1: if you're here This long, and and you've heard my thoughts on this, it's pretty clear. Like, I really do push the people in my real life towards iPhones if they're deciding between things. I just say iPhone or Pixel. But personally, I kind of want them more on iPhones than the Pixels, unless they're planning on doing custom ROM situations.
0: I think when it comes to stock OSs, the only advantage is that Google gives you access to more privacy-respecting apps through, like, F-Droid and Aurora Store and stuff like that but I mean as far as the stock OS I'm with you I think they both kind of suck but I think, I think you made a really good point about like iPhone like it does come with a lot of bloatware from Apple but it didn't come with like you said it didn't come with Facebook it didn't come with Gmail it didn't come with TikTok or some you know custom browser I mean it came with Safari but you know it didn't come with Samsung's custom browser and their per- proprietary assistant and all that garbage so I, I think that's a good point personally
1: yeah, and I think, just one more thing to add to this, you you guys have to remember, we're throwing out advice towards like thousands of people in every episode that we give, and we have to just give the advice a lot of times that applies to the most amount of you. If you're asking us, should I get an Android device or an iPhone device, my mind goes to, hey, if we just say you should get an Android device over an iPhone, that means someone can just get those like $20 Android devices that come pre- yeah. pre-installed, which is garbage on them. So like, that's kind of why it's easier to just be like, if we recommend people to an iPhone, we know exactly what they're all gonna get. If you buy an Android device, it could be an Android device from Craigslist that's three years out of date from security updates. It could be something that comes pre-installed with Facebook that you can't get rid of. It could be something that has pretty much permanent Google Play services on it with no easy way to, like. we just don't know. The Android world is so
0: complicated and convoluted, and a lot of times it's easier just say get an iPhone. I know. Well, that was uh, just to add on to that. Everybody's everybody's coming from such a different technological background that like, it's really easy for you know like for example me as someone who's been using Linux for several years now, it's really easy for me to say like oh yeah just put Linux on a computer. It's super easy, and I'm more than happy to do it for you. But for somebody who's unsure of themselves or doesn't feel very tech savvy. They may, you know, and maybe it is easy. Maybe it's all in their head that's holding them back. But the fact is, that may still not be something they're comfortable doing, like flashing a phone or something like that. And, you know, in their case, unless there's somebody there to walk them through it, yeah, it's just the point being, like, everybody's coming from a different level of technical skill. And just because it's easy for you to, like, compile AOSP from the ground up by yourself (laughs) and flash it, doesn't mean it's going to be easy for everyone. So, yeah, I agree with you. We're kind of just giving the best overall advice and for the record i hate ios
1: <laughs> people think <laughs> i love apple hate ios hate it like i could never use ios and i really want to because i really like the iphone se because you know it's like 400 dollars about and it gives you six years of updates for like flagship level hardware. So it's like such a good value device. And I really want to like actually use one day to day, but I can't, I just hate iOS. And I still give that same advice to people, even though I hate iOS. We're gonna move into data breaches. We're gonna go much quicker through these other stories. So first, data of 820,000 New York City students was compromised in a hack of online grading system. Again, these are students. Most of them would have been minors. So this Department of Education officials are blaming the Illuminate Education, which is the makers of some software for claiming that they encrypt everything when they leave some of the stuff unencrypted. Great. So this affected names, birthdays, ethnicities, home languages, and student ID numbers of both current and former students as far back as 2016. It also got information about who gets special education services, class and teacher schedules, kids who receive free lunch, and even grades. It shut down the system for a week. This happened two weeks ago, and they just informed a school district who has 930,000 students in its system. So it affected a good majority of them. Loosely looking at it, around 80-90% of the students were affected. Again, these are minors. So the, the whole, like, protect the kids argument doesn't seem to apply to basic security when it comes to these children. And I'm sure Nate agrees with this, but it's kind of crazy how something public, like public education, relies on these proprietary companies to deploy the software that's analyzing and keeping track of this
0: data with false encryption. All right, our next data breach comes from the other system we don't want to get breached, which is medical. And this is Washington residents medical data exposed by a phishing attack on Spokane Regional Health District. This affected 1,260 residents or 1,260 if you're technical. It may have exposed, it's worth noting, they haven't confirmed this yet. Um, They have confirmed there was a successful phishing attack, but they're not sure what was accessed and what's been breached and stuff like that. But if anything was breached, it could have included names, dates of birth, and various medical data of 1,060 people. The other 200 would have exposed names, dates of birth, phone numbers, shelter locations, test dates, and possibly medical notes. Up next, hackers have
1: claimed to breach the TransUnion South Africa with password password. Password. Like they use password as their password. TransUnion Africa operates in eight African countries and their infiltrator used stolen credentials to infiltrate the system, steal data, then demand ransom. Despite working in eight countries, this seemed to only affect South Africa. This was a Brazilian group that claimed responsibility and they claimed to have four terabytes of data from 54 million customers. The article seems to insinuate that this affects businesses as well, so it's unclear what data they exactly have. Um, But that is currently
0: where we're at with that story. Our next story comes from HubSpot this is a big one with all the crypto people, where they were hacked and led to data breaches at BlockFi, Swan Bitcoin, NYDIG or NYDIG, I'm not sure what that is, and Circle. So HubSpot is a customer management tool used by all of those companies, and they had a data breach that did not affect your treasuries or operations, so your Bitcoin is safe or whatever coin those people deal with, but user information was leaked. They said that HubSpot can store names, phone numbers, and email addresses, so I would expect that that was probably leaked which means if you're watching this and you're using sms2 factor to protect your wallets first of all shame second stop using online wallets i mean I, i guess unless you're actively trading in which case you probably know the risks but yeah if you're just holding on to it definitely get it offline the company says that client passwords like for the these exchanges company passwords did not get compromised and this was the result of a quote bad actor getting access to an employee account so I don't know if that means phishing or reuse credentials or what. The article also notes that BlockFi suffered a data breach in the past when an employee was SimSwap. I don't want to talk bad about any companies, but it seems like maybe if that's who you're doing your exchanging with, you should probably look into someone else. Our next story is a, uh, I love this headline. Nestle says, Anonymous can't hack us. We leak our own data. So what happened here was anonymous claims that they hacked and leaked data from Nestle in order to shame them for not pulling out of Russia yet. I I would look up like Nestle African infant scandal. Um, I'm just going to leave it at that. (laughs) But anyways, getting back to the story. So Nestle's response was not to deny that this data was out there. They say that this wasn't a hack, but that they accidentally leaked this data themselves. And I'm not sure which is the lesser evil here. That's not really the flex they think it is. But anyways, they also claim that it was randomized and, quote, predominantly publicly available, unquote, test data. I'm not sure if they're trying to say, like, this is all fake data anyways because it was test data or if this was, like, readily available, like, you know, ABC Corporation with their marketing email address, things you could find on their website. I don't know what their point is, but basically they're trying to say, like, Anonymous is full of it. They didn't hack us. This was data we leaked by accident, which, again... Not a great flex, but that happened and was possible in one form or another was a data breach. The last data breach. So, Lapsus has been kind of hitting a lot of these companies the last few
1: weeks. They went on another tear this week. They stole and leaked source code from Microsoft, which included Bing, Cortana, and more. Okta, Okta, um, which included 375 customers, 2.5% of their base, but no user data was stolen. And then promptly got seven of their team members arrested in London. So their poor OPSEC appears to have done them in. So if you want to look into how they got caught, definitely go check out the description. And also 17 years old with 300 Bitcoin was kind of an impressive figure that, um, that's made <laughs> Nate
0: reconsider his line of work. <laughs> with that, we have no company news this week because uh, we only had one company story and that was the Google app spying thing which of course was our headline story so instead we're going to take this opportunity to remind you we're moving to a new channel go subscribe to the channel if you need more information check out the promo at the beginning or stick around for the reminder at the end with that we'll move into research and we're going to start off with a new phishing toolkit that lets anyone create fake chrome browser windows this was really cool so they're calling this browser in the browser or bitb attack this is an attack that allows an attacker to create A spoof of single sign-on a lot of you guys know you go to a website and it asks you like sign up or sign in with like Google Facebook uh, Something like that, which of course we never recommend in the past when you have tried to spoof that window. It's actually um, It hasn't been quite a one-to-one and if you look close enough, you can tell that this is not legit however, this new attack allows people to create very convincing legit looking windows that are actually phishing attacks and forward your credentials to them. In my opinion, this is just another reason to avoid SSO like the plague. It is awful, but it's also very, very interesting. So be sure to read the article and learn more about how this works because it's pretty wild and it definitely made a few headlines.
1: So I was looking at notes this week and I knew if I gave this story to Nate, he was going to complain that I always (laughs) give him the complicated ones. So I decided I was going to take this one just to prove him wrong, that it's not on purpose. So L-Track, stealthy tracking of mobile phones in LTE. This is a new tracking attack on LTE that allows an attacker to stealthily extract user device locations and permanent identifiers, like IMSI and things like that. So to remain stealthy, the localization of devices in L-Track is fully passive. So it relies on our new uplink downlink sniffers. Do not know what that means. If you know what that means, then you know what it means. So, the sniffer records both the time of arrival of LTE messages and the contents of the timing advance commands, which is based on which LTRAC calculates locations. So, LTRAC is the first to show the feasibility of a passive localization in LTE through the n- implementation on software defined radio. In other words, LTRAC can track devices persistently over long periods of time and in dense areas, like in cities. It does require a line of sight and a modified MZ catcher, so it's probably not something you need to worry about for your own daily life, but it does display a proof of concept, and I'm sure that we see technology similar to this used for surveillance and by law enforcement and things like that. Really recommend reading it if you wanna actually get into the technical nitty gritty because I am not super familiar
0: with this technology. All right, with that, we're gonna move into politics, and we've got quite a number of stories this week. A lot happened, but we'll, as always, try to go through as quick as we can. So our first one, legislation seeks to block lengthy gag orders on tech firms after government surveillance. So this is a legislation that has been put forward in the US. Government agencies would no longer be able to indefinitely conceal their secret seizure of email records under legislation introduced Tuesday that takes aim at gag orders. The Government Surveillance Transparency Act Requires law enforcement agencies to notify surveillance subjects of email, location, and browsing data seizures. Laws like this already exist for phone records and bank data. So now they're basically just trying to uh, update the law and bring it into the 21st century. It also places a six-month limit on gag orders, which must be court-approved by showing likelihood of evidence destruction, witness tampering, or other investigation compromises. So basically, now the government can't just place a gag order because they feel like it, and it can't last forever, which is currently the case. And uh, for those who don't know, a gag order is basically when the government says uh, they'll go to like Google, for example, and be like, hey, give us all this user's data and also don't tell them that we made this request. So you have no idea you're even under surveillance. With this, there would be a six month maximum. After six months, the company can tell you. And they also have to go to the court and say like, hey, we think this is necessary because if they know, they might destroy their emails or, you know, whatever. So super, super cool if it gets passed. Alright, up next, the Supreme
1: Court just made a U.S.-E.U. Privacy Shield Agreement even harder. So the U.S. Supreme Court has ruled on FBI versus Fazaga in favor of the intelligence community. In 2006-2007, the FBI sent a paid informant undercover in numerous mosques in California to pose as an Islam convert which is like crazy. But so the information indiscriminately gathered names, phone numbers, email addresses, and their religious and political beliefs on hundreds of Muslim Americans. Once this came to light, three of the affected sued that this violated their right to religious freedom. An appeals court rejected this and said, as long as evidence was reviewed behind closed doors, this case should go forward. The Supreme Court disagreed and said that recent reforms to to FISA did not eliminate the state secrets privilege, so the case was dropped. For those who don't know, FISA is like a secret, court who pretty much decides that all of these organizations behind the scenes are doing what they should be doing and there's no oversight over FISA. It's fantastic. So in addition to making it harder for Americans to hold the government accountable because this sets a legal precedent for future cases, it also makes it unlikely for any future US-EU data transfer agreements to be made because America is upholding the right to surveil for no reason and that there are no privacy safeguards in place. Again, this all happened in the US, in California. They're not supposed to spy on American citizens. I'll leave it at that. I think most people
0: listening to this probably are on the same page about this. Just a quick note, we will be talking about US-EU data transfers in just a moment, but we'll get to that. First, we're gonna talk about another bill that has been put forward which is the Kids Online Safety Act, and this comes from the EFF, so it is a little biased, but I think you guys will agree with their bias. The headline says the Kids Online Safety Act is a heavy-handed plan to force platforms to spy on young people. So Senators Blumenthal and Blackburn have put forward the Kids Online Safety Act of 2022, which attempts to update the Children's Online Privacy Protection Rule, which you may have heard of, COPPA. It's, it's why every time you go to a website, it's always says like you must be 13 or older to use this. The most glaring privacy problem with this new uh, Kids Online Safety Act is that it requires an unspecified age verification system to detect anyone under the age of 18 and heavily censor their internet experience. They even quoted the wording in the article that, like, it basically says you've got to come up with a way to verify that kids are of age. And that's pretty much all it says. It doesn't say how to do it. So it's probably safe to assume that companies are going to find invasive ways to do that like facial recognition or, you know, something like that. There's a lot of moral questions about censoring, especially en masse, trying to censor what kids can and can't see based on their age. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll let you guys read the article and, and hear their arguments for that. But it's just very concerning all around. I'm not, I'm not a parent, but what's wrong with just having parents take control
1: of what their children can see on the Internet?
0: I agree. And especially, I think kids are so different. Like, they all grow and mature at different rates. You know, for example, the infamous talk, one kid might be too young for that and not ready, and another kid might be totally ready to learn about that. Like, I don't I don't think it's the, the government should be telling parents when, when they can and can't teach their kids about things and what kids can and can't look at. That's definitely a parent thing, in my opinion. Probably not an unpopular opinion with our audience, but I agree with you. I was just wondering if there was another take there. But, there, yeah, I guess... I guess that's my take, too. (laughs) I got another take. How come every time there's an anti-privacy legislation, it's Blumenthal? Every time. Every time something comes up, his name is attached to it. I'm getting tired of hearing his name. Up next, Arizona residents can now add their driver's licenses and state IDs
1: to Apple Wallet. They're the first state to do so. Colorado, Connecticut, Georgia, Hawaii, Iowa, Kentucky, Maryland, Mississippi, Ohio, Oklahoma, Utah, and Puerto Rico have said that they will soon roll it out as well but this allows users to show an iPhone or Apple Watch at certain checkpoints in the Phoenix Sky Harbor International Airport, so they still need to keep their physical IDs close. Honestly, if, if this was done in a safe way and completely offline and very safe, I don't really mind this too much, but we're really sharing this because of the possible concerns of storing your IDs digitally and trusting it with a company like Apple.
0: Yeah, if there was like an open source wallet and it was entirely optional, I wouldn't really care. But unfortunately, <laughs> it's... It's probably like Sesame credit where it starts off optional and then it's going to become mandatory over time.
1: Yeah. And also like you could argue, I can make valid arguments, not for every situation, but I can make arguments for certain situations
0: where like a digital ID is more secure Mm -hmm. than a physical ID. I've, I've lost count of how many times I've forgotten my wallet in my car when I'm driving the company vehicle and I'm just like, man, I hope I don't get pulled over today. Exactly. And also if you lose a wallet with your ID in it, someone has your ID. If you lose your
1: phone with your ID on it, they don't necessarily have your ID. It's locked, you can have like, phones have full disk encryption on them nowadays. So like, that's what I'm saying. Like there's a lot of situations where having a digital ID is actually nice. It'd just be great if we can trust the companies building the operating systems to
0: do this in a safe way. Agreed. That's why why that story's in there. All right. Our next story is a, a little bit of a win. The headline says Utah becomes fourth U.S. state to enact consumer privacy law. Unfortunately, the original article that I was alerted to is paywalled. I think it was Wall Street Journal or something like that. So I had to go find this article, which is a little bit more legal and technical, but it's still very comprehensive. This law applies to businesses that do business in Utah, of course, and make $25 million a year or more. So we're already seeing some loopholes and either possess the personal data of at least 100,000 Utah residents per year, or make at least 50% of their gross revenue from personal data and processing personal data from 25,000 or more Utah residents. This gives residents the right to access their data, delete their data, opt out of data sale, sale in quotes, uh, we'll talk about why in a second, and opt out of targeted advertising as defined under this law. So data sale is defined strictly as the exchange of data for money. So WhatsApp does not technically sell your data to Facebook. For example, so yeah, this is not really gonna do much to stop the quote unquote sale of your data because most companies don't quote unquote sell it. So here's where it falls short, unfortunately. It does not require businesses to obtain consent. It does not give residents the ability to correct data and most importantly, in my opinion, does not allow residents to sue directly. They have to go through the state attorney general's office, which means the process is going to be much slower and much less likely to be effective because the attorney general has to decide if they even want to take on that case. There's a lot of room for improvement, but it's something and it's a start. And so I think that's worth celebrating.
1: Our next story is a little bit of a nothing burger. So the US and EU have reached a preliminary deal on data privacy. That's literally about all we have. So we'll keep you updated, stay subscribed on that new channel, and maybe we'll have an update for that once we get more information.
0: Our next story, uh, we're going to the EU now where leaked opinion of the commission sets off alarm bells for mass surveillance of private communications. So as a lot of you guys have heard, uh, the EU is basically thinking about making chat control mandatory, which chat control was this idea put forward where companies can voluntarily use things like for encrypted messengers they can use like the metadata to try and identify possible signs of child abuse or child grooming and things like that originally it was opt-in and it explicitly said this is not supposed to be an end-to-end backdoor but now of course the eu is deciding well what if we made this mandatory so this was leaked by the french media outlet context I'm not even gonna try to put an accent on that because I'll just screw it up. It is dated February 15th of this year, and it cites the it quotes several European Commission members who have expressed concern about this proposal. I didn't write down any of the quotes, unfortunately, but uh, if I remember correctly, they were basically saying it's a little it's a little overbroad. I have a lot of concerns it doesn't address and things like that. We just talked about how Calling your representatives can sometimes be effective. You know, we talked about consumer privacy laws and things like that. So be sure to go ahead and call your representatives if you live in the EU and let them know you agree with their concerns. Up next, the high court has ruled against home office for data being extracted
1: from migrants' mobile phones. So in the UK, the high court has ruled that border agents cannot confiscate and search scan phones from incoming immigrants just because they need to be suspected of a crime probably lots of loopholes there, as they can probably find anything to suspect anyone they want to, uh, and then search their devices, but I guess it's a step in the right direction.
0: All right, our next story comes out of Australia. This is a really quick one. Australia has launched a federal cybercrime center as part of a national plan. This will fall under the Australian Federal Police, and is called the Joint Policing Cybercrime Coordination Center, or JPC-3, and basically just meant to focus additional dedicated efforts to combating cybercrime. South Africa wants to fight
1: sim swapping with biometric checks. The Independent Communications Authority of South Africa has submitted a radical proposal to tackle the problem of sim swapping attacks in the country suggesting that local service providers should keep biometric data of cell phone number owners this is to confirm that the person asking for a report is the legitimate owner they're taking public opinions on this until may 11th i, I just don't get it like sim swapping can be improved with so many other approaches they can be having two FA options for their customers to verify who they are. They can do verbal passwords to make modifications to an account. There's just so many things. And they're like, we should do biometric checks. That's that's clearly like the one option to deal with this problem. So I'm curious to hear if why they decided to just go for biometric checks instead of literally any other, probably easier to implement approach.
0: Our next story comes out of Brazil where Sao Paulo, a Sao Paulo subway has been ordered to suspend use of facial recognition Quoting the article, the company responsible for running the Sao Paulo metro system was ordered to immediately suspend the use of facial recognition technology, unquote. This includes capturing and processing biometric data for facial recognition, and they have also been ordered to immediately halt the rollout of new equipment. This comes after a civil lawsuit initiated by several several civil rights organizations on the basis of scale and consent. The company, of course, does plan to appeal. That's good news. It's been stopped. The lesson here, legal advocacy matters. Laws matter. They do work sometimes. They're not a a, bulletproof vest, but they do help. And our last political story, you guys probably heard about this one because this one made the rounds. Telegram was banned by a Brazilian Supreme Court over missed emails, and then they were brought back. So this lasted about two days. Telegram was banned in Brazil, and telcos were ordered, telecommunications companies were ordered to start blocking it. According to the article, this follows a request from the Brazilian federal police claiming that Telegram is notoriously known for its stance of not cooperating with judicial and police authorities in several countries. They they said that they were trying to get Telegram to take down misinformation or disinformation. So there's a few things at play here. Um, first of all, my first thought is, look at that. A company ignored a lawful order and they got blocked. So that's what happens when, you know... Tutanota and Proton Mail and whoever else you want to get angry at, like oh I can't believe they turned over information with a lawful order. Well yeah because then they they're not allowed to operate in that company any, or country anymore. Putting that aside, it seems like this is more of a case of they weren't being compliant enough because uh, Telegram has actually blocked accounts before that have been accused of spreading disinformation at the request of the courts. What this was was they refused to turn over additional user and registration data, and that's when. The police were like, well, you're not doing enough, so we're blocking you. Later, when he was interviewed, founder and CEO Pavel Durov blamed the ban on a miscommunication and said that he had sent the data onto the courts. So they were later unblocked, which um, also, I I don't know. There's a lot to unpack there. I'm not a big Telegram fan. I don't recommend it. I guess it's better than WhatsApp, but not by much. And yeah, to me, that tells me like they do cooperate. They will turn over your data. And I, I don't know. There's a lot to unpack there. I don't I don't know if Henry has any opinions. I don't really. I, I don't like Telegram
1: either. I mean, I can make yeah. arguments for why WhatsApp actually can do better than Telegram. At least WhatsApp has end-to-end encryption by default. And on group messages. <laughs> and yeah, on group messages. Yeah. Fair. So, like, the, but I, I still think with secret chats, Telegram does beat WhatsApp. So, I agree with you there. Um, yeah.
0: I don't know. There's so many better options. I wouldn't use either of them. But
1: I agree. I I also just don't like Telegram, just using it. I know a lot of people love the usability aspects of Telegram. I just never love the clients. Very personal preference, though. But it doesn't mean you shouldn't use it necessarily if it works for you and you somehow have everyone using secret chats and you trust it, then go ahead. But there's probably better options out there if privacy and security and avoiding these kinds of problems is your goal.
0: But yeah, so that's that's what happened with Telegram. They're back now if you're in Brazil. So um, yeah, read the article, get all the information, and make up your own mind. I think we'll just leave it at that.
1: All right, we're gonna migrate into FOSS, free and open source news. Not much this week. First, Molvad's privacy companion is now open source. For those who don't know, it's a Firefox plugin that's basically like DuckDuckGo's. It's supposed to rate various websites and offer suggested improvements. Seems like everyone's getting one of these nowadays, so maybe we need to get one too. Um, It is now open source. (laughs) Uh, You don't need these, none of them. Go check out our Firefox hardening guide. I'll leave that linked down below. You know, I'll leave our Android privacy and security guide, the Techlor one, in the description, and I'll also leave our Firefox hardening guide down in the description. All you need is Ublock Origin and maybe a few others. You don't need any of these other extensions. You can use them, but they're really not necessary nowadays. Let's but, make
0: our own extension that just rates every single site as an F, because if you really want to be private and anonymous, you should not be on the internet.
1: That's what I'm saying. We need to <laughs> get make an extension that, if you're not using Tor browser, it just rates everything you do as an F. And then we'll make a second extension that rates your other extensions. So if we catch that you're using the Molvat <laughs> extension, you get an F also. Honestly, like it's open source, it's probably fine. We just really recommend like using as few extensions as possible because yeah. they have so many access to the websites that you go to and they're just not necessary. It's nothing you can't accomplish with uBlock Origin.
0: All right, and our last two FOS stories are just a couple of updates. First of all, Linux 5.17 has arrived. This includes a patch for a variation of the Spectre security vulnerability. This improves AMD, Intel, and Qualcomm chip support, and, of course, much, much more. So if you're a Linux user, be sure to update your base OS, however you do that, whether that's command line or GUI. And for our KeePass users, KeePass XE 2.7 has been released. This includes quick unlock using Windows Hello and Mac OS Touch ID, if you use those. Includes a, quote, massive overhaul of auto type. Improved attachment handling, Linux secret service uh, integration, migration of crypto backend from libgcrypt to botan, and much, much more. So, again, read the articles if you want to know exactly what they do. And if you use either of those, be sure to update. With that, we will now launch into our misfits section. And we have one misfit story. And this one's kind of interesting. So, the headline says, We have your daughter. The terrified father paid the ransom. Then he found his kid where he least expected her. If you're Listening to this, you can probably expect where he found her. She was fine. She wasn't kidnapped. This is a really interesting story, and it's showing the rise of a a scam that I think everyone should be aware of. Basically, criminals are trying a new scam where they use a pre-recorded actress to trick you into thinking that they've kidnapped your daughter and demand a ransom. You know, they just have this actress pretend she's uh, under duress and, you know, like, dad, dad, help me, help me. And, you know, when, when they call, so this is where it relates to privacy, when they call you. This is fueled mostly by social engineering because when the parent picks up, they hear this recording, they say the kid's name, you know, their whatever name, you know, is that you? And now they have their daughter's name. It could also be fueled by the overflowing of information on social media. You know, all they have to do is find a phone number, two seconds to look it up on Facebook and see what your family's names are. Give it a shot. Just this is a really crazy story. Totally. It's a very long article, but it's totally worth reading. Just being aware of social engineering and scams and letting people know that this is one that's out there.
1: This is only going to get worse, too. I mean, um, I don't know if people saw the Linus Tech Tips video where they tried to, like, deepfake Linus, and they had this whole, like, audio deepfake tool that worked incredibly well because there was so much sampling of Linus's voice throughout so many of their videos. And so it's especially bad if your child is on social media constantly posting videos of themselves talking because there's so much different data there in their voice that can be now be used by deepfake software to pretty much emulate their voice without even needing an actor. So this could even be like an automated thing one day where it's just like automated and sent out to like a whole set of leaked phone numbers from a data breach.
0: Yeah, and especially audio, in my opinion, I think audio deepfakes are very convincing. Like I've seen, there's a, a really infamous Obama deepfake that I'm sure you've seen where um, I believe it's Jordan Peele plays obama and they use like basically he's the wireframe actor and then they use the deep fake stuff to make him look and sound like obama and like the video in my opinion wasn't super convincing but the audio definitely and especially since he like nailed the speaking pattern and and stuff like that it was very convincing in my opinion so yeah i could totally see that in the not too distant future with how readily available that stuff is getting man we're screwed man (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you and me are screwed. We've got faces and audio and everything up on the internet all the time. So I'll come up with a code word. The pineapple has not spoiled. That means I'm safe. All right, and that was all of our news for this week. Google is spying on Android users through the messaging and dialer apps. Unfortunately, not terribly shocking, but still not okay. A wild new phishing attack where, you know, they trick the browser can fool even the best of people Lapsis uh may or may not continue to strike now that several of their team members have been arrested we will see a ton of politics that of course we will keep you updated on as we hear more and much much more we want to remind you this is your last call the new surveillance report channel we are launching a new channel youtube's already up odyssey may or may not be up PeerTube tube is on the way this is gonna be the last one posted to TechLore. Again, I think you should stay subscribed to TechLore. I think he puts out really good content, but also make sure you subscribe to the new surveillance report because it's it's got, you know, that's where we're gonna be moving. You won't get surveillance report anymore if you don't. Also, we need like the most
1: of you over there as possible because like we're starting off a brand new channel with zero uploads. So the more of you subscribe, yeah. the better. So we get like a nice fresh start and we're not gonna see as much of a, of a drop in video views for the first time. The more of you
0: subscribe, the more of you watch the video next week when it comes out, that's gonna help the algorithms and help us reach people, which of course is what we're about here. We're all about pleasing the YouTube gods here. (laughs) I don't know if I'd go that far. (laughs) Okay. And with that, we want to thank you for listening to the Surveillance Report. We are happy to know that you're trying to stay safe and up to date out there. The final thing we want to ask of you, like we just said, share it around, especially the new channel. Well, I guess we'll hear about the new channel. Make sure you're subscribed, especially to the new channel. Give us a rating if you're listening on a platform where that's an option, a thumbs up, five stars, whatever, four stars, you know, be honest. We want privacy to reach as many people as possible, like I said, and you can help us do that. So again, thank you for listening, and we will see you next week on the new channel.